Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Jeff Wasserman, Judicial Outreach and Development Director of the Delaware Council on Gambling Problems, join us today as our podcast guest to talk about gambling disorders. Attorneys are at increased risk for developing gambling disorders due to their unique characteristics and the work they perform. Jeff is a former practicing attorney who experienced his own gambling disorder. So, Jeff, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Absolutely, and and thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. I was a practicing Delaware attorney for nearly 33 years in private practice, a small firm. I was the managing partner uh, of the firm for the last uh, 10 years of my practice. And uh, in August of 2015, I was transferred to disability and active status uh, related to my gambling addictions and associated behaviors. Uh, I've been in recovery from gambling disorder uh, since that time, so uh, it's about four and a quarter years. And uh, during that time, I developed a new occupation, or as I like to refer to it as a new calling. As, uh, as was mentioned, I work for the Delaware Council on Gambling Problems as the Judicial Outreach and Development Director. Uh, we're a nonprofit health agency that is gambling neutral. In other words, we're not for or against legal gambling. Our mission is simply to educate, prevent, and treat those people who suffer consequences or potentially are at risk for developing a gambling addiction. And again, since the time I entered recovery and began working uh, with the Delaware Gambling Council, I obtained uh, my certifications as an international gambling counselor, as well as a peer recovery specialist. So um, again, that is my new calling in life, and I'm thrilled to be able to, uh, to do it. Yes. Well, when did you first realize that gambling was becoming a problem for you? I think it was um, really when I entered law school. Um, I mean, I had gambled prior to that time, but nothing that would raise any kind of red flags or cause me any concern. But in 1979, when I moved to Delaware and entered law school, I found out at that time, much to my pleasure, that we were only about a, an hour and a half drive down the expressway to Atlantic City. And that was the time that Atlantic City was experiencing a, a rather significant boom in casino development. So friends from law school and I would uh, occasionally go to Atlantic City and spend the evening uh, gambling at a casino. But I realized, I think, at that time that uh, I probably liked gambling more than my friends did. I was, I was the guy that never wanted to leave when they did or you know, lost all his money first and, and probably took out more money from the ATM than I had planned. So uh, although, um, you know, in hindsight, it's easy for me to 
to look back and say, uh, yeah, those were the signs that uh, potentially there could be a problem. I don't think I recognized it or, or wanted to recognize it uh, when it was happening. Yes. And how would you describe yourself in your situation when you were at your worst, Jeff? When I was at my worst, basically gambling was the uh, focus of my life. You know, as with uh, other addictions, I was preoccupied with gambling. When I wasn't gambling, I was thinking about it. I could uh, always uh, try to control or or, uh, somehow regulate my gambling, but uh, I was unsuccessful at it. I needed to gamble with increasing amounts of money in order to achieve that gambler's high or stress relief. Um, But, um, you know, it was all the signs that you would typically associate with a substance addiction. But my addiction was the result of a behavior rather than you know, actually um, putting a a substance into my body. Along with that, you know, I was was lying, I was sneaking to gamble, uh, I was violating the trust of all those people that were the closest to me, especially my wife, my children, and um, I was uh, was really um, in a state that gambling, I thought, controlled me. And, uh, you know, they often say that that gambling addiction is extremely progressive, and that was the situation with me. So while I described those first signs while I was in law school, that was uh, that was quite a number of years ago. And as the years moved forward and my stresses increased, I relied more and more on gambling as a coping mechanism to relieve stress and then found myself completely dependent on gambling. And in fact, sometimes I refer to to, uh, to that period of time where I, I credit gambling for allowing me to function because while I was gambling, it was uh, the only time that I did not have the burdens of the stresses that were uh, you know, that were going on in my life. I was able to numb myself and block out the stresses. The irony, of course, is that much of the stress was related to the financial losses that I experienced as a result of the gambling. So it was that vicious cycle from you know gambling to relieve stress and then gambling causing stress. Um, and, uh, and then, as I said, in August of 2015, you know, my world collapsed, so to speak, when uh, I was caught and all of the, you know, the, the hidden behaviors and characteristics that I engaged in uh, and, the, and the losses and damage that I did all came to the surface and, and um, ended up not only ending my career as a practicing attorney, but having serious um, you know, consequences with regard to my relationships and, and pretty much every aspect of my life. What do you want lawyers and law students to know about the risks and consequences of gambling addiction? You know, I have the, um, you know, the opportunity and and I'm grateful for it to actually share my story and to speak about gambling addiction to, uh, to lawyers and law students. And it's my way of giving back and, and to turning, you know, a very negative part of my life into a positive just like most people with addictions that share their stories, um, it's a very powerful and compelling way to raise awareness of addiction and to 
hopefully reach out to others who may uh, either have you know experienced these issues or, or know someone that has. But when I speak to lawyers and law students, I specifically talk about certain factors that I think are fairly unique to the practice of law uh, and that give rise to a greater risk of developing gambling addiction and also um, give rise to uh, very significant consequences uh, of the addiction. Uh, It's pretty anecdotal. I don't cite any kind of studies uh, or research-based evidence to support my you know, my hypothesis only uh, is supported by lived experience and my own observations. Mm-hmm. So the four factors that I think put lawyers and law students at a risk are stress, ego, opportunity, and accessibility. With regard to stress, you know, uh, we all know that lawyers uh, experience a, a very significant level of stress um, from challenges that are associated with with the practice of law, you know whether it's long work days or court imposed deadlines, targets for billable hours, or just balancing a, you know one's personal and professional life, um, these are stresses that lawyers have to deal with. And and um, although um, there are positive ways to deal with stress, gambling certainly is a negative way, and sometimes. I would say most times it is not on the radar when one thinks of addiction. So there's not that um, consciousness that if they engage in that kind of behavior, it may turn into an addiction. But, you know, it it certainly it certainly uh, can do that. The other uh, factor would be ego. Um, I, I often like to sort of say tongue in cheek that. I, uh, I hear that lawyers may have uh, big egos, and that always gets a, a bit of a laugh from the audience. Yeah, but, maybe. But the, yeah, maybe, right, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, ego comes into play, especially with gambling. If, if we're talking about a skill-based mm-hmm. form of gambling, like poker um, or sports betting, the ego tells us sometimes that we are better than the average person, and in fact, maybe can beat the odds because of our special skill or talent or intelligence. Uh, So that uh, certainly comes into play. And also with regard to just experiencing the issues that may lead to the addiction. Ego sometimes tells us that we don't have anything to worry about. We can handle it ourselves. We're used to being problem solvers for other people. And that sort of translates to to being a problem solver to ourselves. So there's this lack of willingness to reach out to others, and that certainly is a, is an issue that could be harmful when one has gambling problems. I talk about uh, the third factor as being um, opportunity, and when I say opportunity, I mean the opportunity to gamble. Uh, number one is, you know, generally lawyers, certainly in private practice, don't have a typical nine to five job. They're usually out of the office and on many days, either going to a deposition or a court appearance, maybe meeting a client. So that can be, you know, used to to benefit the gambler and give them the opportunity to go to a casino when uh, others think that they're busy doing, you know, uh, engaging in um behaviors or events related to their practice. So there's that opportunity piece of it. 
Um, also now with the, with the advent of uh, more and more online gambling, we can just sit at our desks and be in our computer or our phone or our other device and gamble at the office when other people assume that you're working on, uh, on uh, your, your job or, or uh, you know, on, on tasks relating to, to lawyering. And then finally, accessibility and access to me is, is the most important of the four factors that uh, need to be uh, in our awareness. Um, because lawyers, uh, just like accountants, financial planners, and others, um, have access to other people's money. And, uh, you know, when we think about gambling addiction, we know that you can't gamble without money. That is often said as the crack cocaine of the gambling addict. And um, when uh, all resources to access money legally have been uh, exhausted, very often the gambler will look at other ways to access money, whether they are legal or illegal. Now, most gamblers don't have the access that many attorneys have, and that is access to other people's funds. I would say also that, you know, it's very common that um, lawyers or even non-lawyers that embezzle or engage in criminal activity to obtain money to gamble, they don't think of themselves as committing a crime. They don't think of it as stealing money, but rather borrowing money. And that money would be paid back as soon as their next big win occurs when they gamble. So there's this ability to justify and excuse these otherwise, you know, uh, very abhorrent behaviors uh, by saying, well, we'll just pay it back and nobody will be the worse for it. So, um, and as you know, uh, especially as a lawyer, the consequences of doing that is fatal to, to one's uh, profession. And, and certainly beyond that, um, there's that criminal justice component to it. Uh, studies show that approximately half of the uh, people who have gambling disorder resort to illegal acts to obtain money to gamble. And it's typically white-collar crimes, such as embezzlement, um, issuing bad checks, fraud. And typically, these people do not have any prior criminal record. Their only objective for engaging in the behavior is to obtain funds to use to fund the addiction. And uh, that's obviously a, a serious problem. Jeff, what propelled you to stop gambling and embrace recovery? Well, um, as I said, uh, I, I got caught. The issue was that, um, as I said, I was managing partner of my firm. Uh, I was in private practice and um, we were notified um, as uh, most firms are certainly in Delaware and I assume in, in other states as well, that we were going to be uh, subject to a random audit of our uh, books and records and our accounts. And uh, again, it was random. It wasn't as a result of any kind of red flags or client complaints or any, uh, you know, any, anything of that nature. But I knew that once the audit uh, took place, that uh, there were irregularities in, in our firm's accounts that would be discovered and would lead to my uh, gambling addiction and, and related behaviors. So at that time, um, I, I canceled the audit. Um, I knew that my career was about to end. 
that uh, I was about to be found out, uh, you know, was, was desperately, you know, concerned about, you know, my wife, my children, uh, anybody that I knew, because I really led a double life. I'm, you know, on the one hand, I was a successful attorney, loving husband, good father, uh, a man of integrity. But uh, as uh, someone with this gambling addiction, I was quite the opposite. I led a life that was filled with uh, lies and distrust and, and, and basically somebody that I didn't recognize. I mean, I, I was raised in a family that taught values. I didn't have any of the um, experiences that, you know, some people with addiction have that would, you know, raise a red flag. I didn't come from a broken home. I didn't have addiction in my family. Um, I didn't suffer any kind of childhood trauma. And I was raised with really good values, and, and I, I, I raised my children that way. And in one sense, I led a life that way, except when it came to gambling. So as you can see, that you know, all aspects of you know, my life were, were now going to be disclosed, and, uh, and I had no choice. Uh, I was, you know, frankly, at the time, I, I, I gave serious consideration to ending my life. And, uh, um, and fortunately, um, decided to instead try to endure the overwhelming shame of disclosing the addiction and and uh, and the repercussions from it and uh, after spending a week my first week i guess in recovery although i th i think i'd rather say it was my first week of abstinence in a uh, in a psychiatric hospital and uh, was released and immediately was taken to my first uh, gamblers anonymous meeting and started to get counseling and started to really try to educate myself on this addiction because, quite frankly, I didn't think I had an addiction. I didn't even know gambling disorder was an addiction until I learned about it, until I realized, and, or, or learned, I should say, that, that it is uh, as legitimate an addiction as addiction to opioids or to alcohol. In fact, it's in the, it's in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, of mental disorders in the same category as addictive disorders to opioids and tobacco and and to other uh, substances. Uh, so it, it was an eye-opening experience to learn that one can develop an addiction and, and the same type of uh, characteristics by just a behavior itself rather than, you know, putting something foreign into one's body. I didn't have to snort or inject or swallow. Uh, or smoke to uh, to get that addictive high, or uh, you know that that numbness that I got from from gambling. So when I learned about the addiction, and I want to say that that didn't provide me with a justification for my behaviors. I didn't say, well, now I know I'm not responsible for what I did because I have an addiction. No, it was more of an explanation. Whereas before I thought that there was something that was making me go insane, I learned that that something was a gambling disorder or a gambling addiction. And that gave me a little bit of peace in, in the sense that I can now understand why it happened, but still be accountable for what I did. So, um, you know, as I found the support that I got from my loved ones and just went through a process of enduring the shame and, and, and struggling through it. I began to embrace recovery. I began to, you know, for the first time realize that yes, maybe I could, you know, have a life following addiction. 
And uh, as time went on, and again, I, I can't, you know, be grateful enough to the people that have given me much more support and compassion than I ever thought I deserved. But, you know, that really made such a significant, um, you know, contribution to my own embracing of recovery and my own um, objective in, in, in trying to, to sort of not go back to a life before gambling, but, but to find a life that's even better, that's more rewarding and fulfilling and filled with, you know, compassion and kindness and integrity. And it sounds very Pollyanna-ish, but, you know, for me, it is, it's very truthful. I, I, uh, I just have a different outlook in life and appreciate, you know, the small stuff. And, and, uh, and that's why uh, I heard somebody say this week that uh, they hated their gambling addiction except for one thing, it introduced them to recovery. And that's, uh, that's something that, that I can fully support. Um, I can't say that I'm grateful for having addiction uh, to gambling because of, of not only the harm it did to myself, but especially to my loved ones. So I, I, I don't think I, I could get to that point, but I certainly recognize that the, the positive side to it was you know, to introduce me to a life of recovery, which uh, I just enjoy every day and try to be grateful for every day. What are some of the things that you do now to keep yourself on the right path and to stay in that recovery? Well, one of the things that I do is um, try to guard uh, against complacency. Um, I, I'm not so, um, you know, after four plus years, and, and thank God I haven't relapsed during that time, and, and, and many, many people, uh, especially with gambling addiction, do experience relapses not because of any kind of weakness on their part, but just that's the nature of the addiction for some and how it how it's processed. Um, I, I mean, I've maintained abstinence for, for over four years, never really struggled with relapse, but my focus now is, is, is really guarding against complacency because if I become complacent and stop attending my GA meetings, which I continue to attend, you know, probably three or four times a week, and um, and just work on uh, my twelve step program and, and reach out to others in, in many ways. If I did stop doing that and all of a sudden, you know, felt that I had some security, well, I haven't gambled in four years. You know, maybe I don't need all this stuff. That would be extremely dangerous. And there's no doubt in my mind that if that occurs, it would only be a matter of time before I went back to betting. Because as you know, addiction, uh, there's no cure for it. We, we have to arrest it. We have to maintain, you know, our abstinence, our recovery every day. Uh, so I'm in remission and I recognize that. So I attend GA meetings. I, um, I actually um, also have started back in January a, a support group over Skype, which um, I facilitate uh, three meetings a week for people with gambling addiction uh, all over the world, quite frankly, we have people in our meetings, not only from the U.S., but from Canada, from England, Ireland. We have someone from Turkey. We had someone from India, uh, as far away as Thailand and Australia. And it's been such an awesome experience for me as, as the one that, that started this group and facilitates it, because not only have I got to meet wonderful people, but I've got to build you know relationships and really felt that um, that we make a difference in supporting each other. Uh, I started these meetings to, to really attract, 
you know, uh, millennials into, uh, into support groups, which quite frankly, um, there's, there's this, sometimes there's a disconnect between the traditional 12 step group and, and, uh, and, and the younger generation. Uh, so, uh, so I went, uh, to reach out to them on their terms. So we, we do it over Skype and we have one hour meetings and we, we share, I'm probably 25 years older than the next person that's it's in my group. Uh, in terms of chronology, but it's it's been awesome. That's um, excellent. That yeah. is just excellent. I'm happy to hear about that. Yeah, it's it's been it's been great. Also, um, like like the two of you ladies, I, I co-host a podcast mm-hmm. called All In the Addicted Gamblers Podcast. I started out as as just a, a fan of the of the podcast. Um, I was introduced to podcasting by, of course, one of my children because you know I didn't know anything from podcasts. You know, all I knew is I had an icon and I guess in my, uh, or an app in my phone that said podcast, but never used it. And then I said, hmm, I wonder if there's anything on gambling and found this podcast hosted by someone, a young guy named Brian Hatch, who um, shared his experiences with gambling, but in a way that's entertaining. So it's an entertaining way of getting the message across. Uh, I emailed him got on the show and we became uh, friends and uh, and uh, about, I guess, it's been probably almost a year now that um, he asked me to be the co-host and we have guests on from from all over the world with gambling addiction. We, our last guest we had on was from Australia, actually. And, um, and that's been a terrific, you know, opportunity for me to uh, grow in my own recovery. So, you know, many people who are in recovery know what it's like to uh, you know to reach out and to to share their their story and their experiences and and the people who are on the other side receiving the message you know think uh, it's a one-way street that you know here's the giver and, and they're the takers but it's not it's a symbiotic relationship i get as much benefit and value from sharing with others than uh, than i think that the others who uh, who receive the message get it's it, it that's how recovery works as, as as i'm sure you know um and uh, i just i stay you know obviously i stay very very vigilant in terms of what i do i i'm a firm believer in complete you know abstaining from all sorts of gambling even those forms that i never really engaged in that are fairly innocuous and and i i'm, I'm pretty sure would not trigger me like uh, you know i don't buy a powerball ticket when it's 300 billion dollars it's just I've adopted a philosophy or, or a, I guess, an approach to my recovery where I don't gamble at all because, you know, for me, once I draw a line and say, well, I could do this or can't do that, you know, I, as, uh, as a former attorney who's been, you know, trained in being able to sort of manipulate facts to, to try to uh, support a position, you know, then, then I get into that gray area where um, I don't want to have any kind of risk or exposure that I may fall into that rabbit hole. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I maintain abstinence and I do work the steps. And, uh, and of course, since I work at a gambling council, I'm around gambling uh, addiction and prevention and recovery, you know, all of my working days at night. Uh, I'm constantly, uh, you know, engaged in, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this area and, 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 and I love it. It's great. And especially, you know, having the opportunity to share my experiences and my story. Uh, I'm grateful for people like you that, that give me that forum because it's, uh, 
it's tremendously helpful. And, and, and quite frankly, it, it really is a, a wonderful way to, you know, increase my own, um, you know, self-esteem, you know, my own value that, that I completely destroyed as a result of my active addiction. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Jeff Wasserman, for a wonderful program. Jeff, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Well, um, for those guests who, uh, who are Twitter followers and, and who tweet, um, my Twitter handle is JP, like in Paul, W, D-E-L, that's for Delaware, D-E-L, 1955. And uh, please reach out to me on Twitter. If not, um, certainly uh, I welcome emails, and you can email me at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-P, like in Paul, Wasserman, W-A-S-S, like in Sam, E-R-M-A-N, at gmail.com. And feel free to reach out whether you want some um, additional information for yourself, for family members, whether you're struggling with issues or you have somebody that is struggling with issues and, and you want uh, just someone to talk to, someone that has been there can, can sort of share their own experiences. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I also take calls on a problem gambling helpline. So um, I do have some experience in, in talking to people that you know, have concerns and have issues and, and even have you know, more significant problems. So uh, especially lawyers and law students, please reach out to me and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you on a confidential basis. Thank you, Jeff. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.